everybody. This is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keeping you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. On this week's show, Corey Branson sat down with UBC men's golf star Ethan DeGraff to discuss his time at UBC, how he's handled the big changes to competitions this season, and nearly breaking the school single round record the other week. Elsewhere, UBC athletes were honored virtually for their academic achievements, and hockey hit the ice for the first time this semester, but new changes to BC public health guidelines has put Thunderbird sports at risk once again. Finally, we take a look back at one of UBC's premier dual sport athletes in our Thunderbird alum of the week. But first, here is Corey's interview with Ethan DeGraff. Hello, everybody. I'm Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joining you from a safe distance. Today, I am here to interview one of our own Thunderbird athletes. After joining UBC in 2018, he has consistently posted stellar results for our men's golf team. Rising from rookie standout to team superstar, just a few weeks back, he came tantalizingly close to equaling the Thunderbirds record for lowest round. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Ethan DeGraff. Ethan, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Cheers. All right, let's get into this. To start, I'd like you to walk me through your summer uh, from the NAIA canceling competition in March all the way through to your return to action at the start of October. How did you feel about your chances to play golf again this fall? Yeah, so when they actually canceled the the season, we were actually in Vegas at the time. So we had to come back and it was kind of right in the kind of hubbub of kind of what was COVID at the time. Um, so after that, I obviously went home and just kind of waited for the courses to open in May. Um, when they got approval from the Alberta government. And then I played overall quite a bit. Obviously, I didn't really work too much because nothing was was really open. But um, overall, I had a pretty good summer. I was uh, pretty happy to um, to at least compete, right, because golf is, is socially distanced um, naturally. Um, my teammate, Mike Falk, won, won the Alberta Am, so that was, that was really, really nice for kind of my teammate to win. And then, obviously, I was really... Um, confident that we were going to be able to play in the fall, obviously not going to the U S just for a multitude of reasons, but even just to keep it local, it's just nice to compete. Cool. Yeah. And when you finally did get back on the course for the BC rivalry series uh, that your coach set up, what sort of, what sort of protocols were in place for you folks regarding COVID-19? Um, it was pretty, pretty normal overall. It's just, like really the only thing that really changed was like no handshakes or no kind of formalities like that. Um, the pins would stay in just to kind of minimize contact points. But other than that, it was nothing was really too different. Anything different with regards to like the scoring tents or uh, clubhouse protocol, things like that? Uh, to minimize kind of, they try to keep us out of the clubhouse as much as possible. Um, lots of the courses would just try to, keep us off the property until kind of 45 minutes to an hour before you teed off just to minimize the amount of people on the property. Um, and then coaches would just take your own scorecard. So you kind of keep your own score and then just kind of verbally attest it just so you weren't touching each other's scorecards at the end of the day. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest changes I would imagine these tournaments have brought is this new shorter format. How do you need to adjust your game plan to compete in these single round tournaments? Yeah, so normally, like, 
with a normal college event, we play in the States, they're 54 holes. So you play the 36 the first day and then the 18 the second day. So first day you kind of go in blind, right? But then the second day you kind of know where you stand and 18 holes isn't a lot of time for a 54 hole event. So you can kind of figure out how you want to attack the day, but with the kind of short 18 hole single day tournaments, you kind of, you kind of just go into it fairly conservative. Cause you know, if you can, if you don't make a big number, you know, you can definitely at least kind of top five it for sure. And then really with the BCRS, how they're doing it, the premium isn't on winning the, the single day events. The premium just comes down to um, the order of merit. So as long as you can kind of stay consistent through it all, then, then that's what's really uh, awarded. Right. Of course, coronavirus, uh, we talked about it a lot affecting athletics, but it covers a lot of other walks of life as well. As a student, how have you found the transition to online classes? Um, overall, it's been, it hasn't been too bad for me. Um, obviously, like missing out on classes and stuff and actually being kind of personal with your professors is, is tough. And it always seems somehow like you have more work, even though you don't per se, and a motivation thing too, just to kind of because you're not being held accountable directly to your professor. Um, but then again, we can only kind of complain so much, like our lives are pretty good still compared to where a lot of the country and the world is too, right? So you can only complain so much before you start feeling bad about it. Yeah, I'd echo a lot of those sentiments. Uh, as I mentioned in the Open, the fifth tournament of the rivalry series saw you catching fire. You shot a 65 at Northview, came within one stroke of tying the UBC all-time low round. What was going right for you that day? Uh, you know, I was playing with kind of a, a new buddy of mine, Jackson Jacob from UFV in Fraser Valley. Um, it was his home course, so I had never played there before, but um, kind of just following his lead really more than anything. He he actually shot 62 that day, so I was more more just along for the ride than anything else. So we kind of fed off each other, but it kind of came down to I was, I was cheering for him because when you shoot a 62 and it's just, it's tough not to cheer for a guy when they start doing something like that. Totally. Uh, besides that scintillating round, you've been posting plenty of low scores. You talked about it already, the uh, need to focus on the order of merit and not necessarily individual tournaments. You're sitting top of the table in that order of merit right now uh, in the individual standing. With tournaments set to resume next February, how are you avoiding high numbers and staying so consistent? Uh, so kind of, I mean, it, you grow up a lot in your first couple years of university. Um, so kind of when you go into it, you're trying to prove a lot about yourself and trying to be that hero, like I said earlier. But um, it just, like I've been working with our assistant coach, Jeff Booter, for two and a half years now. And it's kind of just, as you grow up, you realize you're not the biggest, like the biggest fish. And you kind of realize you just got to stay kind of true to yourself and know that the consistency is is what will pay off, especially with the BCRS. So again, like it's just trying to not be the hero and just fairways, greens, and just trying to get out of there without without any big numbers, really. Looking back at last season, you had another run of fine form right out of the gates. You won back-to-back -back individual titles at the Multnomah and the St. Martin's Invit Invitationals. The first win was also the first of your university career. What was key to you starting that season in such fine form, if you remember? Yeah, uh, it was actually kind of a funny story because I wasn't actually playing too well that summer prior to the fall season. So I really didn't go into kind of the fall with many expectations of anything. 
Um, so after I won the first, the Multnomah tournament, I felt pretty good going into the next week. And then we were in uh, just south of Seattle at uh, St. Martin's. It's called the Home Course in Olympia. Um, and I actually played an event as a junior there. And I was actually pretty close to, to quitting the game at the time. I was, I was kind of done with golf. And um, it was called the uh, Junior America's Cup. And my mom kind of told me, you just got to go and play it and kind of see how it is. And I kind of fell back in love with the game, going on a team trip with Team Alberta back in, I want to say 2016 or 2017. So kind of having that romanticized view of St. Martin's kind of, I felt really good going into that. And obviously as an NCAA tournament, it's a little bit bigger than the Multnomah event. So going into that event, I felt really good and I had a couple of good playing partners and I just didn't feel like I could lose that week just with how, how good of vibes I had at that course. So. You've talked already a lot about the fact you're from Alberta, Edmonton originally. You played your junior golf at the Royal Mayfair course there. What inspired you to take your talents out west and play for UBC? Yeah, so I played actually quite a bit of soccer growing up, and then I kind of just transitioned to golf. Um, and kind of once I took golf more seriously, I, I always knew I wanted to go play college golf somewhere. Um, but kind of as I, as I grew up a bit, I realized that golf might not be the end all and be all for me and I kind of cared a lot more about the schooling than the golf so I mean UBC it's tough to tough to argue against the school itself um so then again like eventually when I graduate I'd be much more proud to say I'm a UBC graduate than if I had gone down south generally right so obviously I take the school really seriously but it's nice to kind of have still that college experience and still in a normal year at least compete in the u.s so it, as that accessory to the ubc degree right. you and the team get to practice at shaughnessy uh, for those unfamiliar our listeners it's just down the road from ubc it's a world-class course it's hosted the pga tours canadian open a few times it's given the pros a run for their money when it has what sort of advantages for you ethan are there in getting to play on a course of that caliber so often yeah, so like you said, it's really close to campus, which is really nice as it's five minutes down the road. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, but obviously most PGA Tour tournaments kind of winning scores are kind of minus 20 sort of thing, like just shootouts. Um, and I just looked it up before our, our call here. And in 2011, when they hosted it last, minus four won. So it's quite, it's relatively tough compared to the average PGA Tour course. Um, Really the best thing about Shaughnessy, especially in the summer, is the greens are so small. So it really rewards good ball striking and you can't really kind of just hit it around. Like you really got to, it really incentivizes fairways and greens over anything else, which is in turn the, uh, the hallmark to consistency. You mentioned the 2011 Canadian Open when Sean O'Hare won. I was actually in attendance at that tournament. Yeah. I remember the pros, the top pros at the time, Luke Donald, Hunter Mahan, they were struggling with the rough out there. Again, you mentioned yeah. the narrow course and they set it up to pseudo US Open conditions. It was fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of the PGA Tour, I was looking through the Varsity Golf Twitter. I heard that Canadian pro Nick Taylor gave you folks a Zoom pep talk earlier this year. What sort of advice did you get from him? Yeah, so it was really cool to, to, to talk to Nick just because he's kind of a local guy who took his game. He went and played at uh, University of Washington, which is still pretty close to us. Um, but kind of growing up, 
um, playing kind of locally in the lower mainland and especially the weather is so similar in Seattle. So we talked a lot about kind of playing collegiate golf in the rain and the, and kind of stuff like that. Um, and then moving kind of talked us through his, his move to the PJ tour and then just kind of, again, golf as I've grown up a bit, especially after talking to so many people is like, again, it's not trying to be the hero. It's just taking each hole individually. And we all have a tendency to kind of look too far ahead. Kind of, if I can birdie three more holes coming in, I shoot X number. Whereas it's just, if you take every hole individually, that's really what's going to help you get through the, through the day. Cause golf is already so mentally exhausting. Anyways, you don't have to, uh, it doesn't give you any help to, to look so far in advance and to worry about things that haven't happened yet. Do you have any particular mental strategies that you use if you double bogey a hole or something like that and you're really feeling down on yourself? Do you have ways that you sort of reset and reapproach the next hole that's coming up? Uh, <clears throat> if anything, like I really, I really just try to hit as many fairways as I can. That's kind of one of the best parts of my game is I hit a lot of fairways. So it's, it's nice, like you make a few bogeys here and there, but if a double really hits, you just really have to, you do have to, to a degree, think ahead, especially if it happens early, you just know you have a lot of holes ahead of you and it's not the end of the world if, if you do make the double bogey. And especially in a normal year with the 54 hole tournaments and normal, just amateur events, you got 72 holes. So one, one hole out of 72 is not, is not a big deal. Some athletes, I'm sure you're aware, they swear by their pregame rituals. Are there any interesting aspects of your warm-up routine that you'd like to tell us about? The warm-up itself, I don't really, I'm not the most superstitious guy, so the warm-up itself isn't too weird for me, but kind of the only thing I do is um, marking my ball on the green. I only mark my ball with the toonie with the queen facing up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where that came from but that's kind of that's really the only superstitious kind of weird thing i do on the golf course i'm so happy you answered that question i bring that up a lot when i'm doing these interviews and so many people are like no i'm boring no i don't do anything exciting so thank you for <laughs> having a, a little superstition there i appreciate it now you're only in your third year here at ubc you have plenty of university golf still ahead of you you mentioned the fact that UBC coming out to Vancouver was really important for the academic quality of the school. Looking far into the future, though, do you think you'll pursue golf as a career once you graduate? Uh, obviously, you never know kind of what the future holds, um, especially because I have the latter half of this year and then two more full years to compete. And hopefully by by fall of next year, we'll be back in the U.S. Um, so again, you kind of never know what the future holds because if it really starts to take off and I really start to play well, it's, it's, it's worth a shot. It's like, you don't want to go down your life and regret not at least trying. Um, but kind of what I'm really passionate about is, is kind of politics and business. So I think realistically down the line, that'll probably be what I end up doing, but I think I'll also regret if I at least don't give it a shot when I'm, when I'm done here. Yeah. We hope to see you at least giving it a shot in the future. Yeah. All right, Ethan, before we wrap up, it's tradition here at CITR Sports that we take a look at the social media accounts of our interviewees, see if we can dig up any gems. Now for you, your Twitter is mostly just retweets and likes, and you have a pretty well-manicured Facebook profile as well, so I didn't really have that much to work with. But I'm wondering if there is a story to Jose Bautista following you on Twitter. 
Honestly, I have no idea where that came from. He followed me a couple years ago. Um, and I thought I was super special when he followed me. Um, but then I looked, I looked at his Twitter account and he followed 25,000 people or something like that. So I, I must not be that special, but he must have a pretty impressive PR team to follow that many people. Cause that takes some commitment. I can't imagine what his feed looks like when he logs in. <laughs> yeah, me neither. That many tweets. Alrighty. Lastly, in April of 2019, your feed was dominated by Tiger Woods news after his major comeback. I can't say I'm too surprised about that. Next week, he'll be defending at Augusta. Going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Top three picks to win the Masters this year. Oh, top three picks. Um, Xander Shoffley, uh, probably John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay. Oh, I like those um, picks. But kind of just to throw it out there, um, one of our teammates, Keeping, is doing a kind of master's pool, and we did a an over fifty category. So my my money is on uh, is on Phil Mickelson for the over fifty category. Probably a solid choice in that category. Yeah. <laughs> I like your picks. I'd still take Bryson over all three of them, but we'll see when we when they get out on the course next week. That will wrap up our interview. Again, thank you so much for coming, Ethan. I know you're probably pretty busy with school right now, so we really appreciate you checking in, and good luck for the rest of the season when you resume in the spring. This has been Corey Branson with the CITR Sports Collective and Thunderbird Eye, joined by Ethan DeGraff of the UBC Thunderbirds men's golf team. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me. Cheers. We will now have a quick break for ads and PSAs before we get to the news roundup and the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy. Theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Now here's Mike Liu with the news roundup, followed by Byron Wang with the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Hey everyone, welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming on CITR 101.9 Thunderbird Eye. My name is Michael Liu, here to bring you up to date with the latest in Thunderbird athletics. UBC Athletics prides itself on its excellence both on and off the playing field. And that was certainly recognized by U-Sports last week. A record 196 UBC Thunderbird student-athletes were recognized Thursday morning at the annual All-Canadian Breakfast. To be recognized, they must have achieved a minimum academic standing of 80% during the 2019-2020 school year. 
With this breakfast being held for the first time virtually, we hope that these athletes can continue to be role models in the classroom and in their respective, respective sports. An outstanding accomplishment for all athletes involved. Otherwise, it was a quiet week for our T-Birds. Women's Ice Hockey has hit the ice for back-to-back -back exhibition games against Rink Hockey Academy, located in Kelowna, at their home rink of Doug Mitchell. Fortunately for us viewers, no live streams were provided for the games on Friday and Saturday. Great news for the team, though, who are just playing their second series of this season. Women's soccer was also supposed to take to Thunderbird Field on Saturday against the University of the Fraser Valley, but their fixture was cancelled in the early afternoon after Dr. Bonnie Henry's announcement on the new restrictions. We hope that we'll be seeing them back in action very soon. That wraps up a shorter week in our Thunderbirds news roundup. We hope you tune in next week for some more T-Bird action. Next up, Byron Wang with our Alum of the Week. Thanks, Mike. For those tuning in for the first time, this segment, which we call Alum of the Week, looks at a former UBC athlete's life, not only in the world of sports, but what their life is like outside of athletics as well. And with no time frame in mind, there will be stories from all throughout the history of UBC athletics. Born June 8, 1949, this week's Alum of the Week was quite the individual. John Hawkins, a native from Kelowna, BC, rose his way through the ranks and certainly made a name for himself in men's high jump. Hawkins graduated from Courtney High School in 1968 with a passion for both track and field and basketball, both of which he continued for the Thunderbirds. As a Thunderbird basketball player, Hawkins was known as the Leaper, recognized for his speed, tremendous rebounding, and shot-blocking ability. He was a member of the 1960-1970 UBC Hall of Fame basketball team that won undefeated against Canadian competition, winning both the Buchanan Trophy and the National Championship, arguably the best team in UBC basketball history. And at the same time he was playing Thunderbirds basketball, Hawkins was continuing his success as a high jumper. He was a member of the UBC track and field team for four seasons between 1968 to 1973, where he helped the men's team win the Canada West track and field titles in both 1969 and 1972, doing his best to balance his jumping with UBC basketball. In 1971, his status as Canada's top jumper was confirmed when he became the first Canadian to jump seven feet. And it was also that year that Hawkins was crowned the Canadian Indoor High Jump Champion while being named the BC Male Track and Field Athlete of the Year. And later in 1971, at a meet in Berlin's Olympic Stadium, Hawkins reset the Canadian record with a leap of 7 feet 1.5 inches. Hawkins additionally won a silver medal for the men's high jump at the 1970 Commonwealth Games and participated in the 1971 Pan American Games. And in 1972, he represented Canada at the Summer Olympics in West Germany, where he jumped 2.15 meters, which earned him a respectable ninth place. And since graduating from UBC with a degree in physical education in 1972, Hawkins has participated in BC, Canadian, US, and World Masters track and field competitions. And across the different age groups, he has won numerous gold medals while setting world, Canadian, and BC records in Masters decathlon, heptathlon, throws, pentathlon, high jump, pole vault, shot put, and discus. And as of 2009, he held four world titles in high jump, pole vault, and decathlon. Today, Hawkins currently lives in West Vancouver, where he continues to compete and excel at the master's level in track and field while still keeping his connections with UBC, appearing at track reunions and events involving that special 1970 Thunderbird basketball team. 
And that will wrap up this week's Alum of the Week. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Thank you again to Ethan DeGraff for coming on the show. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Corey Branson, Mike Liu, and Byron Wang. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day. <laughs>